Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. People v. Wakefield decided April 26, 2022. DeFi or A, Chief Judge. This appeal primarily concerns the admissibility of DNA mixture interpretation evidence generated by the True Allele case work system. We conclude that Supreme Court did not abuse its discretion in finding, following a Fry hearing, that True Allele's use of the continuous probabilistic genotyping approach to generate a statistical likelihood ratio including the use of big data below the stochastic threshold of a DNA genotype is generally accepted in the relevant scientific community. We also hold that there was no error in the court's denial of defendant's request for discovery of the true allele software source code in connection with the Fry hearing or for the purpose of his Sixth Amendment right to confront the witness against him at trial. On April 12, 2010, the victim was found strangled to death in his apartment, with a guitar amplifier cord wrapped around his neck. Several items had been stolen from the victim's home, including a PlayStation 3, a laptop and a distinctive orange duffel bag. Witnesses observed defendant in the company of the victim the weekend of the homicide and defendant admitted to three individuals that he had choked the victim. Defendant did not dispute that he had been present at the victim's home. A separate witness observed defendant with a distinctive orange duffel bag like the one belonging to the victim, attempting to trade a PlayStation and a laptop for drugs. The victim's PlayStation 3 was recovered from the home of a local drug dealer. At the scene, the police collected DNA samples from several items of evidence and sent them to the New York State Police Forensic Investigation Center, LAB, for PCR DNA typing analysis, using the FBI-selected 15-STR loci standard. Defendant's single-source DNA profile was developed from two bottles taken from the victim's home. Relevant to the issues presented here are four DNA profiles developed by the lab through the samples taken from the front and rear outside collar of the victim's shirt, the victim's dorsal forearm and a section of the amplifier cord used to strangle the victim. The DNA test results developed by the lab in an electropherogram were then compared to known DNA profiles from defendant and the victim. The lab concluded that, 1, the two profiles generated from the shirt collar were consistent with at least two donors one of which was the victim, and defendant could not be excluded as the other contributor. 2. The DNA mixture from the right dorsal forearm was consistent with DNA from the victim, as the major contributor, mixed with at least two additional donors. And 3. The amplifier cord was a mixture of at least two donors, from which the victim could not be excluded as a possible contributor. The results generated from the amplifier cord were not compared to defendant's DNA profile because of the complexity of the mixture. Since the lab used an interpretation standard of a stochastic threshold of 50 to 100 relative fluorescence units, RFU, the analyst did not call any alleles based on peaks on the electropherogram below that threshold. As a result, there was insufficient data to allow the lab to calculate probabilities for the unknown contributors to the DNA mixtures found on the amplifier cord and the front of the shirt collar. The lab was able to call only 4 out of 15 STR loci and the analyst, using the combined probability of inclusion method, generated a statistic that the probability an unrelated individual contributed DNA to the outside rear shirt collar was 1 in 1088. 
Using the same number of loci for the profile obtained from the victim's forearm, the analyst generated a statistic that the probability an unrelated individual contributed DNA to the profile was 1 in 422. The electronic data from the DNA testing of the four samples at issue was then sent to Cybergenetics for additional analysis because its Trulio casework system applies a continuous probabilistic genotyping method of calculating a likelihood ratio using all of the information generated on the electropharogram, including peaks that fall below a laboratory's stochastic threshold. The likelihood ratio in its modern form was developed by Alan Turing during World War II as a code-breaking method. TrueAllele uses a probability model to assess the values of a genotype objectively. It does not consider a reference sample for any particular DNA profile. Following protocol, once the genotypes were inferred based on mathematical computations from all the data in the electropharograms, the system compared defendant's genotype to all of the statistical genotype possibilities and calculated likelihood ratios as to the presence of defendant's genotype. The ratios were exponentially greater than those generated by the methods employed by the lab. Specifically, TrueAllele concluded that it was 5.88 billion times more probable that defendant was a contributor to the mixture on the amplifier cord than an unrelated black person, that it was 170 quintillion times more probable that defendant was a contributor to the mixture on the outside ear shirt collar than an unrelated black person that it was 303 billion times more probable that defendant was a contributor to the mixture on the outside front shirt collar than an unrelated black person, and that it was 56.1 million times more probable that defendant was a contributor to the mixture on the victim's dorsal forearm than an unrelated black person. Prior to trial, in March 2014, Defendant moved to preclude the introduction of any evidence or testimony derived from the true allele casework system or, in the alternative, for a fry hearing to determine the general acceptance of true allele in the relevant scientific community. Defense counsel acknowledged having received from the people approximately 1,500 pages of discovery documents, including reports relating to the DNA analysis, but argued that several additional items must be disclosed specifically. The defense sought the assumptions and parameters programmed into the true allele system and the software's source code. In support of the motion, defendant submitted an affidavit from Ranajit Chakraborty, Ph.D. a member of the Scientific Working Group on DNA Analysis Methods, SWGDAM, and former member of the New York State Commission on Forensic Science DNA Subcommittee. Parenthetically, the DNA subcommittee is charged by Executive Law Section 995B-13, to assess and evaluate all DNA methodologies proposed to be used for forensic analysis in the state. Dr. Chakraborty acknowledged that both New York's DNA subcommittee and the full Commission on Forensic Science, CFS, approved true allele for forensic casework without limitation in 2011 while he was a member. However, since true allele reanalyzes the electronic data from another laboratory by including all allele peak height information including that which extends below the stochastic threshold, he maintained that it was a novel innovation which had not gained general acceptance in the scientific community. Dr. Chakraborty opined that, when the DNA subcommittee approved true allele, it had not been presented with evidence of its ability to analyze certain types of complex DNA mixtures and that it had not been adequately validated for the type of casework, to which it is now being applied. Dr. Chakraborty contended that, 
in the absence of disclosure of the source code for the software and the underlying assumptions programmed into the system, Trulio cannot be meaningfully validated. Supreme Court granted defendants' motion to the extent of ordering a Fry hearing to determine the admissibility of Trulio's methodology. In July 2014, prior to the Fry hearing, defense counsel made a supplemental demand for discovery seeking several items relating to the Trulio process, including, as relevant here, the true allele source code. The people, who were not in possession of the source code, denied the request as the source code was outside the scope of the former demand discovery provision, CPL 240.20. The Fry hearing commenced in October 2014 and the people called three witnesses Dr. Mark Perlin from Cybergenetics, and Dr. Barry Deusman and forensic analyst Jay Caponera from the lab. Dr. Perlin, who has a medical degree as well as a PhD in both mathematics and computer science, founded Cybergenetics in 1994 and is its chief scientist and executive officer. He testified that TrueAllele is comprised of two systems TrueAllele Data Bank, for interpreting single-source reference samples, used by the New York State Police for the State DNA Data Bank, and TrueAllele Casework, for interpreting more complex DNA mixtures. The True Allele Casework system does not generate a DNA profile, but analyzes the electronic raw data that has already been generated by a forensic crime lab, separates, or deconvolutes, the genotypes and calculates the likelihood ratio. As described at the hearing, the analyst operating the True Allele system reviews the raw electronic data and then inputs the data file into the computer, setting parameters such as the number of contributors and the quality of the mixture. The computer then separates the genotypes using the mathematical probability principle of the Markov chain Monte Carlo, MCMC, search to calculate the probability for what the different genotypes could be. The computer conducts a quantitative analysis using all of the electronic data generated in the electropherogram including patterns and peak heights as opposed to the qualitative analysis of visual human review, which has a limited data field due to the laboratory's stochastic level. Through the mathematical process, the system makes an inference based on the probability of each possibility of the alleles at each locus, then records the genotypes and mixture weights for each contributor. The analyst then looks at the results to determine whether the computer has achieved concordance and, if not, the analyst has the option to take additional steps i.e., ask the computer to model for another donor, allow it to run more cycles or ask it to account for degradation in the sample. As to general acceptance of the continuous probabilistic genotyping system, the testimony of the people's witnesses established that probabilistic genotyping methods have been recognized by the relevant scientific community such as SWGDAM, the American National Standards Institute and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, as a valid approach to DNA interpretation including the fully continuous probabilistic genotyping approach used by True Allele. The mathematical and scientific principles underlying the system, MCMC and Bayes' theorem, are well-established and independent validation of the reliability of the software is available in the form of a free trial that can be used to verify a known sample. Dr. Perlin has presented on the DNA mixture interpretation of true allele at multiple scientific conferences, including internationally and true allele casework has been the subject of numerous peer-reviewed published articles in scientific journals. The true allele casework system had also undergone approximately 25 validation studies one involving samples created by NIST. 
Although Dr. Perlin was involved in and co-authored most of the validation studies, his interest in through allele was disclosed as required by the journals who published the studies and the empirical evidence of the reliability of true allele was not disputed. Four validation studies were conducted independently by laboratories. Two of the independent validation studies were conducted by the New York State Police Lab and were designed to conform to the quality assurance standards of the FBI in order to maintain the lab's access to the National DNA CODIS database. Jay Capanera testified that he performed the validation studies using complex mixtures of up to four contributors and varying amounts of DNA, including low template samples. The system was able to separate the known donor samples from the unrelated profiles provided by staff members demonstrating that it provides both inculpatory and exculpatory results. In sum, the validation studies found the results generated by true allele were reliable as they were sensitive, identifies the correct person, specific, excludes non-contributors, accurate and reproducible. The evidence at the hearing further established that NIST used the true allele system to examine the composition and assess the weights of a two-person mixture for its standard reference materials, used by other laboratories to conduct quality assurance. Evidence generated by true allele had also been found admissible after hearings conducted in states outside New York, as well as other countries. In addition, the system was used to conduct all forensic casework in the state of Virginia and in Kern County, California. Defendant did not call an expert witness or introduce any evidence at the hearing. He also did not refute the fundamental mathematical principles of the methodology used by True Allele. Rather, in cross-examining the people's witnesses, the defense focused on the fact that the true allele system involves artificial intelligence in its mathematical application by drawing inferences on the data, the black box nature of the technology and the small number of independent validation studies conducted without Dr. Perlin's involvement. The defense also emphasized that most forensic laboratories still use the stochastic threshold model. Defendant elicited that some laboratory analysts lack a complete understanding of how the sophisticated mathematical system works and that Dr. Perlin characterized the main barrier to implementing the continuous method as the difficulty in educating analysts on the system to the degree they would be able to testify in court. Following the hearing, in a lengthy and detailed opinion, Supreme Court found that true allele was generally accepted in the relevant scientific community and denied defendants' motion to preclude testimony and evidence derived therefrom. The court concluded that the quantitative analysis performed by true allele had been empirically tested and found to be reliable and accurate, that it was the subject of publication in scientific journals and favorable peer review, that it was more efficacious than human review using the stochastic method, that it had been validated and the results were reproducible, and that the scientific and mathematical principles upon which it was based had been accepted by the relevant scientific community long ago. The court observed that, notwithstanding that true allele had been in existence since 1999, there was a lack of negative critical work concerning its methods in the scientific community. Prior to trial, Defendant moved for disclosure of the source code in order to meaningfully exercise his constitutional right to confront his accusers. He argued that the report generated by True Allele was testimonial, that the computer program was the functional equivalent of a laboratory analyst and that the source code was the witness that must be produced to satisfy his right to confrontation. He claimed that Perlin's surrogate trial testimony without disclosure of the source code was inadequate. The True Allele casework system source code itself, and not Dr. Perlin, 
is the declarant with whom, defendant, has a right to be confronted. The court denied the motion, finding that the source code was not a witness or testimonial in nature, and that defendant would have the opportunity to confront and cross-examine Dr. Perlin the analyst and the developer of the software. Defendant again raised his confrontation argument prior to Dr. Perlin's trial testimony, asserting that the true allele casework system was the witness and that he needed the source code to effectively cross-examine that witness. When the court questioned how one cross-examines a computer program, defendant represented that, once his experts had the opportunity to review the source code, he would then pose questions to Dr. Perlin based on the expert's review. The court denied the request stating that the issue defense counsel raised was a discovery issue and that defendant's ability to cross-examine Dr. Perlin, the developer of the source code, satisfied his right to confrontation. Both Dr. Perlin and the analyst from the lab who conducted the electrophoresis testified at trial to the results of the DNA testing and statistical analysis. Gary Scoos, Ph.D., a professor of biological sciences at the Rochester Institute of Technology, testified at trial as a defense witness. After reviewing 1,278 pages of documents relating to the DNA testing in this case, including the electrophorograms, Skoos agreed with the DNA interpretation analysis that defendant's DNA was present in the mixtures found on the shirt collar and amplifier cord and that it was most likely present on the victim's forearm. Skoos opined, however, that the DNA may have been present as a result of secondary transfer not directly from defendant. The jury convicted defendant of murder in the first degree and robbery in the first degree. The appellate division affirmed. The court held that Supreme Court properly concluded that true allele was generally accepted in the relevant scientific community and rejected defendant's argument that disclosure of the true allele source code was required to properly conduct the Fry hearing. The court noted that the record reflects that articles evaluating True Allele have been published in six separate forensics journals. True Allele had undergone approximately 25 validation studies, some of which appeared in peer-reviewed publications. The DNA subcommittee of the New York State Forensic Science Commission offered a binding recommendation that True Allele be used by the state police for its forensic casework and it was later approved by the full commission, and at the time of the Fry hearing, True allele had also been used in various states and had been deemed admissible in Virginia, Pennsylvania and California. As to defendants claimed that the failure to disclose the true allele source code violated his constitutional right to confrontation, the court concluded that the report generated by true allele was testimonial in nature, but that the source code was not a declarant. The court cited Dr. Perlin's explanation at the Fry hearing that there is human input when utilizing true allele including that, a human analyst tells the computer what to download and under what conditions to analyze the data, the analyst tells the computer what questions to ask when interpreting the data and the analyst downloads certain results from the computer, the analyst determines how many runs, or cycles, of the data the system will complete and the analyst then makes comparisons to form the likelihood ratios. The court further observed that defendant had the opportunity to confront Dr. Perlin, his true accuser, at trial and that defendant did not preserve the alternative argument that the failure to disclose the source code impaired his ability to cross-examine Dr. Perlin as the declarant. In a concurring opinion, one justice opined that there was no need to address the relative merit of defendant's arguments as to the violation of his right to confrontation, in light of the absence of any meaningful attempt by defendant to gain access to, or compel disclosure of, 
the source code prior to trial. A judge of this court granted defendant leave to appeal and we now affirm. We must address whether the trial court abused its discretion in determining that true allele is not novel but instead is generally accepted under the Fry standard defendant argues that the evidence the people presented at the Fry hearing was insufficient because, absent disclosure of the true allele source code for examination by the scientific community, its proprietary black box technology cannot be generally accepted as a matter of law. He further asserts that, even if such technology could be generally accepted, the people fail to meet their burden at the hearing, given the dearth of independent validation as a result of Dr. Perlin's involvement in the large majority of studies produced at the hearing. The well-known Fry test applied to the admissibility of novel scientific evidence, Fry v. United States, is whether the accepted techniques, when properly performed, generate results accepted as reliable within the scientific community generally, People v. Wesley. General acceptance by the relevant scientific community, however, does not require that the procedure be unanimously endorsed, quoting People v. Middleton. At issue in Wesley was the general acceptance of DNA evidence specifically, the restriction fragment length polymorphism, RFLP, methodology, including the assessment of a visual match between DNA samples. There, in a concurring opinion, Chief Judge K warned of the pitfalls of self-validation by a small group and urged caution in accepting technology that has been validated by individuals with a commercial or professional interest in promoting its use, developed in commercial laboratories under conditions of secrecy, preventing emergence of independent views and had not been peer-reviewed. Notwithstanding these concerns, Chief Judge K ultimately agreed that, at the time the appeal was decided, RFLP-based forensic analysis was generally accepted as reliable and those testing procedures were accepted as the standard methodology used in the scientific community until the advent of the PCR-STR method used today. Here, the evidence presented at the Fry hearing established that the relevant scientific community generally accepted true allele's DNA interpretation process and that the continuous probabilistic genotyping approach is more efficacious than human review of the same data using the stochastic threshold. It was undisputed that the foundational mathematical principles, MCMC and Bayes' theorem, are widely accepted in the scientific community. It was also undisputed that the relevant scientific community was fully represented by those persons and agencies who weighed in on the approach. Although the continuous probabilistic approach was not used in the majority of forensic crime laboratories at the time of the hearing, the methodology has been generally accepted in the relevant scientific community based on the empirical evidence of its validity, as demonstrated by multiple validation studies, including collaborative studies peer-reviewed publications in scientific journals and its use in other jurisdictions. The empirical studies demonstrated true alleles reliability, by deriving reproducible and accurate results from the interpretation of known DNA samples. Defendant and the concurrence raised the legitimate concern that the technology at issue is proprietary and the developer of the software is involved in many of the validation studies. This skepticism, however, must be tempered by the import of the empirical evidence of reliability demonstrated here and the acceptance of the methodology by the relevant scientific community. First, Dr. Perlin's hearing testimony established that, in forensic science, most validation studies are internal and they're not published, but the FBI's quality assurance standards requires that a developmental validation for a particular technology be published. See also NIST, DNA Mixture Interpretation, 
a NIST Scientific Foundation Review, at 64. The interest of the developer was addressed at the Fry hearing in this case and, contrary to defendant's argument, Dr. Perlin's involvement in many of the validation studies does not preclude a determination of general acceptance as a matter of law. The concurrence's claim to the contrary ignores that the performance of validation studies by Dr. Perlin, the state lab and independent agencies were entirely consistent with the scientific method, see for example President's Council of Advisors on SCI. NTEC, EXEC. Office of the President, Forensic Science and Criminal Courts, Ensuring Scientific Validity of Feature Comparison Methods, at 46, 2016, published after the Fry hearing was held. Here, unlike in Wesley, there were developer and independent validation studies and laboratory internal validation studies, many published and peer-reviewed. The technology was approved for use by NIST Space and for forensic casework in New York by both the DNA Subcommittee and the full CFS, entities that were established, in part, in response to the concerns raised in Wesley as to the lack of independent scientific validation of DNA technology, Governor's Approval Mem, Bill Jacket, L1994, CH737, Executive Law Section 995B. Importantly, the lab, in accepting the true allele casework system after approval by the CFS, must still conduct additional validation of the program and the hearing testimony indicates that they reference materials likewise demonstrates confidence within the relevant community that the system generates accurate results. Disclosure of the true allele source code was not needed in order to establish at the Fry hearing the acceptance of the methodology by the relevant scientific community. First, Defendant's initial attempt to obtain the source code was made by a July 2014 supplemental demand under the former demand discovery provision, former CPL 240.20. Defendant was not entitled to the source code under that provision, as the source code is not a written report or document made at the people's request for trial purposes and the proprietary information belonging to cybergenetics was not in the people's possession or control. See former CPL 240.201, C, former CPL 240.45, People v. Washington, compare People v. Degata, error to deny defendant access to FBI notes relating to DNA testing not in the people's possession. As we have previously explained, the former Article 240 of the CPL was a detailed discovery regimen and items not enumerated in Article 240 were not discoverable as a matter of right unless constitutionally or otherwise specially mandated, People v. Colavito. Outside of his discovery demand, defendant made no further attempt to demonstrate a particularized need for the source code by motion to the court, see former CPL 240.401, c. Moreover, Defendants' arguments as to why the source code had to be disclosed pay no heed to the empirical evidence in the validation studies of the reliability of the instrument or to the general acceptance of the methodology in the scientific community the issue for the Fry hearing and are directed more toward the foundational concern of whether the source code performed accurately and as intended, C. Wesley. To the extent the testimony at the hearing reflected that the true allele casework system may generate less reliable results when analyzing more complex mixtures, see also President's Council of Advisors on SCI. NTEC, EXEC. Office of the President, Forensic Science and Criminal Courts, Ensuring Scientific Validity of Feature Comparison Methods, at 80, 2016, published after the Fry hearing was held, 
defendant did not refine his challenge to address the general acceptance of true allele on such complex mixtures or how that hypothesis would have been applicable to the particular facts of this case. As a result, it is unclear that any such objection would have been relevant to defendant's case, where the samples consisted largely of simple, two-contributor, mixtures with the victim as a known contributor, see also NIST, DNA Mixture Interpretation, a NIST Space Scientific Foundation Review, at 3, June 2021 Draft Report. Defendant also argues that the source code for the software is the declarant and that, in the absence of disclosure of the source code, he was deprived of his Sixth Amendment right to confront the witness against him. He maintains that the true allele system involves artificial intelligence and, to some extent, draws its own inferences from the data. He asserts that Dr. Perlin's testimony was therefore that of a surrogate, merely parroting the results of the analyst. Here, like the lab reports on the generated DNA profiles, the report created by True Allele providing the likelihood ratio that defendant was a contributor to the DNA mixture profile found on the items of evidence is testimonial. The report was prepared by Cybergenetics at the request of the people for purposes of prosecuting defendant in a pending criminal proceeding. Indeed, the DNA results were sent to True Allele precisely because of its more advanced approach to analyzing the DNA evidence i.e., its consideration of patterns and peaks below the stochastic threshold and ability to produce a higher match statistic. Therefore, the report satisfies our primary purpose test and was testimonial, see People v. John. However, we reject defendant's novel argument that the source code is the declarant. Even if the true allele system is programmed to have some measure of artificial intelligence, the source code is not an entity that can be cross-examined. The Confrontation Clause provides two types of protections for a criminal defendant, the right physically to face those who testify against him, and the right to conduct cross-examination, Coy v. Iowa, quoting Pennsylvania v. Ritchie. The essential purpose of the provision was to ensure a personal examination and cross-examination of the witness, in which the accused has an opportunity, not only of testing the recollection and sifting the conscience of the witness, but of compelling him to stand face to face with the jury in order that they may look at him, and judge by his demeanor upon the stand and the manner in which he gives his testimony whether he is worthy of belief, California v. Green, quoting Maddox v. United States. In Bullcoming v. New Mexico, the United States Supreme Court addressed an argument that a laboratory report could be introduced into evidence through the testimony of an analyst who did not personally perform or observe the test because the gas chromatograph machine, used to analyze the blood alcohol content of the accused's blood sample, was the true accuser and the analyst who ran the test was a mere scrivener. The court did not expressly address the concept that a machine can be a declarant, but rejected its sub silentio. Instead, the court focused on the actions taken by the analyst who operated the machine that would be the appropriate subject of cross-examination for example, that the blood sample was received in an intact condition, that a particular test was performed on the sample number that corresponded to the case and that the test was performed according to protocol. In other words, the analyst certified to more than a machine-generated number, 564 U.S. at 661, See also John declining to indulge in the science fiction that DNA evidence is merely machine-generated, a concept that reduces DNA testing to an automated exercise requiring no skill set or application of expertise or judgment. Similarly, here, 
the instrument performs its quantitative analysis on electronic data generated by the lab during the electrophoresis process only after the analyst sets the parameters following a human review of the data. And both the analyst who performed the electrophoresis on the DNA samples and Dr. Perlin, who fully understood the parameters and methodology of the true allele software in its DNA interpretation processes, testified at trial and were subject to cross-examination. We agree with the appellate division that defendant failed to preserve the separate argument that he was entitled to disclosure of the source code in order to fully cross-examine Dr. Perlin as the declarant at trial and, regardless, defendant's argument suffers from the same defect as the request for the source code for purposes of the Fry hearing. Defendant was not entitled to the source code under the former demand discovery statute. After the people refused the demand, defendant failed to make any further attempt to demonstrate a particularized need for the source code by motion to the court. See former CPL 240.401, C, CPL 245.303. Defendant's remaining arguments, including the arguments raised in his pro se brief, are without merit. Accordingly, the order of the appellate division should be affirmed. Order affirmed. Opinion by Chief Judge Difiore. Judges Garcia, Singas and Canataro concur. Judge Rivera concurs in result in an opinion, in which Judges Wilson and Troutman concur. Decided April 26, 2022. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law.